Hello, everybody. This is Maboot. And this is Matt. And you're listening to Lights Up, the, the DC... Th- <laughs> you say it. On that one. No, I like it when you say it. I like it when you say it. Let's say it together. You ready? One, two, three. The DC, DC Theater, Theater Podcast. Podcast. I don't like it when we both say it. I don't either, actually. That was a failure. Okay. But we're going to keep it that way because it's real. You ready to go? I'm ready. Let's do it. Why is it hovering there? Air conditioning. AC. It got hot as balls in that last interview. Good. I wanted to make him sweat. You did. <laughs> you know what? And I'm I'm I am glad that it went the way it did because fuck it. That's what we're here to do. Hi, everybody. It's what I don't. We had the script it's the on, last time. Fuck the script. Welcome to the show. Hey, What's up, I'm, Matt? Not much. How are you been? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing good. I'm busy. What about you? Very busy. What are you doing? What are you working on? Oh, I just had uh, a show open up at Pinky Swear Productions. Oh yeah, look yeah, at that. Two plays actually, back to back in one night. What were they? Um, Bleed by Renee Clarko uh-huh. and Benched by Ali Curran. Two very lovely and talented playwrights. Yes, I was so excited to. I love working with DC playwrights. Anyone who knows me knows that that is my passion to direct shows by DC playwrights. So I was very happy. Say yes to local. S- support your local playwrights. And then the biggie is DC Queer Theater Festival is coming up. Oh, right. Yeah, we're in the right, thick right, of right. it. Tell me about it. What's going on? Um, so what are the details? The what do I need to know? <laughs> you need to know that it is May 30th, 31st, and June 1st at Mead Theater Lab at Flashpoint. Which is 9th and G, right? Yes. Something like that. Right there in Chinatown. You can get right off on Gallery Place. So yeah, the festival featuring six new GLBTQ plays. We had over 130 submissions this year. We have six local directors. We have Reggie Kabiko. Who's, who's that? Uh, slam poet Reggie Kabiko. He's like the darling of the DC poetry culture. Very cool. Um, has been on HBO Deaf Poetry Jam. Has oh. been on NPR Snap Judgment. Nice. He's going to be emceeing the evening, doing some poetry, some comedy. We have six shows. We have a monologue. It's going to be quite a night. That sounds awesome. How you much know, your tickets? Sixteen dollars. Sixteen bucks. And you can get them on our website, www.dcqueertheaterfest.org. All of the proceeds from the festival go directly to the DC Center for the GLBTQ community. So, you know, your ticket goes right to helping the community. That's There's awesome. Not, it doesn't go to pay for next year's festival. It doesn't go so that I can take a nice vacation or anything like that. It goes right to the DC Center, who's providing essential services for GLBTQ people in DC. So it's a really great festival. I'm really excited to be producing it. So you can catch a really cool show and help the community. Yeah. All in one evening. So. And it's only 16 bucks. And it's 16 bucks. And is it, you said six different plays? Six different ten-minute plays, back to back. Yep, yep. So you're seeing six different ten-minute plays for sixteen bucks, and all of that money is going directly to a charitable charitable organization. Directly. That's. We get all the tickets. You know, we, that's, we make that's, sure we pay for the venue, and mm-hmm. then everything above that just goes right to DC Center. I that just write is, him a big check. That's really 
really awesome. I commend you, man. That's that's really fucking commendable. Thank you. And last year's festival, last the inaugural DC Queer Theater Festival raised eight hundred and fifty dollars for the DC Center. So we're hoping to exceed that this year. So you should set a goal. We should set a goal then for you. You should do it. Why not? Thousand bucks. Thousand bucks. I want to break a thousand. Let's break a thousand bucks. That'd be nice. Yeah. Tell all your friends, uh, all the listeners. <laughs> uh, yes, all tell, of you out there. In yeah. Tell podcast your friends. World. Speaking of um, speaking of our listeners, you guys um, have been awesome. Yeah, you guys have been like oh super goodness. killer helping us out with this. Like we've been getting some seriously great press from from people like everybody's sharing it with their friends they're recommending it to people we've received emails we've received comments from people out on the street um you just told me that you had somebody that you had what was it go ahead yeah someone i was at the queer theater fest happy hour and someone came up to me and was saying that she loved the podcast and her and her friends were talking about it and i had just met this person that night and i thought it was wonderful that our podcast is starting some conversations out there in the world. I'm glad people are talking about the podcast. I'm glad people enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad for all the people who have been mentioning the... Oh, uh, through social media. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Let's, um, well, let's see. Well, we had 2AMT, yep. who said they loved it, and... Theater Washington. Theater Washington. Thank you, Theater always. Washington. Faction of Fools and... Happenstance. Happenstance both retweeted it, which is super awesome. Thank you, guys. We made New and Noteworthy on iTunes. Hey! How cool is that? New and noteworthy. I have to say, I mean, I was I was pretty pretty stoked about that. I, I was, that was I was cool. giddy, I think would be the word I used. Giddy, like, yeah. Giddy. And I was like showing everyone. I took a little... Just take a little uh, snapshot? I took a little snapshot on my iPhone and <laughs> was like, hey, look at me. My podcast is on uh, New and Noteworthy. Check yeah. this out. And that would not have happened without the listeners doing exactly what we asked them to do. And we continue to need you to do more of, which is rate the show Share the page, share the podcast with your friends, your family, people that you think would be interested. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, or now we're also on Stitcher. Available on Stitcher. We're on Stitcher. That's cool. It's uh, Stitcher is also another sort of a platform that brings music, conversations, all sorts of stuff like that on. So a lot of the shows that you can hear on iTunes are also available on Stitcher, and it's streaming, so you don't always have to download it directly to your um, your mobile device. You can just listen to it on the go. At first, I thought it was like a sewing circle. That's how it started. Yeah, it was like a, it sewing, was a sewing circle. circle. Yeah, I pictured like Betsy Ross sewing the like American flag <laughs> or like a quilt or something. She, she, I don't know. You think Betsy Ross would listen to us? Yeah, I think Betsy Ross would listen to our podcast. She was a, a lovely and intelligent woman, sophisticated. You see that? So if you listen to the show, you're lovely, you're intelligent, and you're sophisticated. Okay, so um, what have you been up to? You asked me what I was up to. What have you been up to? Oh man, I've been super busy. I just closed a man, his wife, and his hat with yeah. the hub. Which was you, great. You got some good reviews for that too. Yeah, we did. We did. We got we, we got a fair amount of good good press. I've done a couple readings. Then after that, a few good men at Keegan. Yay! Yeah, you can't handle the truth. Rarely can anybody. The truth. The you truth. can't handle the truth. Keegan. Keegan. Yeah, that's fun. With Keegan, yeah, I get to team back up with Jeremy Skidmore, which is super fun. Last time oh, I worked with Jeremy, work with Bengal Jeremy. Yeah, Bengal Tiger. So yeah, the podcast is kind of a huge success. Yeah, it's great. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for telling your friends. So, what are we talking about this episode? This episode, we are talking about 
the performing arts festival season here in DC. I mean, we have a ton of theater festivals and performing arts festivals in this area. I mean, we have Queer Theater Fest, Black Theater Fest, Source Fest, Cap Fringe, Intersections, like boom, 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 all the way up through the fall. Yeah. And so we just wanted to talk about that because that's a big, vibrant part of our theater community and our performing arts community, which puts a lot of people out there. We got some really great information out of it. We, we, yeah. we had a really great conversation with That was them, a great... I, I, was, I was really excited about this conversation. I was really excited going into it, and afterwards I felt, felt really good. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break for a second, and when we come back, we're going to jump right into the conversation. Stay tuned. episode we have Julianne Brianza. I'm the executive director of Capital Fringe. I'm Alex Engel. I'm the artist services manager for Capital Fringe. And I'm Jenny McConnell Frederick, the director of performing arts for Cultural DC where I produce Source Festival. Welcome to the show. Thank you Thank for you. having us. You're doing lightning round? Yeah, let's do lightning round. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee, espresso. No milk, no sugar. Tea, black but weak. <laughs> Coffee, milk and sugar. Favorite season of the four? Fall, spring, winter, summer. I just really like them all right at the start. All of them right at the start, <laughs> mm-hmm. but not towards the middle or tail end. Correct. Okay. Uh, I like autumn. Autumn, okay. A true fan for calling it autumn, I have to say. Don't call it fall in Britain. It's a force of habit now. <laughs> I'm going to go with fall. Fall? <laughs> yeah. Because you're not not British. Because I'm not British. I think it's also because I'm a Scorpio. It's like when I was born, so I feel like that has something to do with it. So you, it's just a theory. So you're narcissistic. Know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Hats or glasses? In what context? <laughs> Hats or glasses? Visors. Visors. All right. Okay. Alex? Glasses. Glasses. All right. Glasses. Glasses, okay. Yeah. Now, what about you? I hate hats. You hate hats? I hate hats. I've never looked good in a hat. I think it's because I'm a bit of a chubby fellow or a jovial fellow. Um, every time I wear a hat, I just feel like I look, I don't know, like that that little boy from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Gustav, um, Augustus Gloop. I feel like Augustus Gloop. Like I should just have on later hosen and a chocolate bar. So I will go with glasses since I've worn glasses since kindergarten. Okay. Tattoos or piercings? Piercings. Piercings. Okay. Both. Both. Tattoos and piercings. Tattoos. Tattoos. All right. One of each. All right. And there's two more. Favorite suit in a deck of cards? Hearts, spades, clubs? I mean, hearts. Hearts? Yeah. Why hearts? Just, like, visually. Visually? Okay. I would would go with clubs, but for the same reason. Clubs? An an interesting interesting shape. For the aesthetic look. Okay, Jenny? And I was going to go with spades. It's so weird that we all think something different. That's I crazy. It. I think because I use diamond? it in language. Like, I think yeah. I use the phrase ace of spades or has that in spades. Right. I think it's, it's there. Steamed dumplings or fried? I mean, it depends on what you're in the mood for, really. Like, if it's cold outside, you'd probably want to have the fried ones because it'd be a little bit hotter. And if it's, you know, it just kind of depends. I think both. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think it depends on what you're you're eating with it, because you know the steamed ones are healthier. So, so there's there's conditions to dumplings, yes. is what yeah. you're saying. Okay. 
Jenny? Fried. I like the crunch. Fr- <laughs> no, False beads fried. That <laughs> sums me up. That's <laughs> okay, and now the final and big question. Um, it's a three-part, well, three-choice. Battlestar Galactica, Firefly, or Doctor Who? Oh, jeez, I know your answer. Uh, I, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of television growing up. Um, but I was allowed to watch the original Battlestar Galactica, so I would have to go with that. I have not seen the new one. I don't know what Firefly is, and I did see the old Doctor Who. I haven't watched the new one, but everyone at the fringe office watches Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I've only seen a little bit of Battlestar Galactica, but I have seen... All, obviously all of Firefly and, and, and I'm a huge Doctor Who fan and I think you can't really choose between Firefly and Doctor mm-hmm. Who because Firefly is finite and Doctor Who goes on there's different things because if I'm like hey I want to watch some Firefly I'm going to watch some Shindig let's go for it but if I want to watch Doctor Who there's a new episode next week <laughs> so okay really into it. yeah <laughs> yeah I'm going to have to go with Firefly there's just something about a space cowboy yeah. yeah I've not seen any of those well, that's why I wrote it for them. I know. I, I have not seen any of those shows. you never seen any of them? I've seen a couple episodes of Firefly, and I must admit, a space western confused me. <laughs> really? I did. But I was never a Joss cool. Whedon fan. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. I don't know what that <laughs> is. Those are I'm changing a little bit. That's the sound of disapproval, man. It is. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to be talking about theater festivals. We're kind of coming into the DC theater festival season, so to speak. I mean, we have Queer Theater Festival, Black Theater Festival, then Source coming right in June. Then after that, we have Fringe Festival, and then Intersections in the fall. So we kind of have this- The Black Theater Festival too. Didn't I, did I say Black Theater Festival? I, I don't know. Oh, I missed it. Yeah, Queer Maybe Theater Festival. Maybe you did. Fe- I was just thinking about it. No, that's awesome. Yeah, okay. Queer Theater Festival, Black Theater Fest, Source, Fringe, Intersections, yeah. like, all boom, 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 uh, summer into fall. So it's kind of an exciting time coming up. Do you guys go to any of the other festivals? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I have to say, I've actually never gone to the Source Festival because it's really busy time for me. I can imagine. <laughs> That's why I put you guys on opposite ends of the So I've actually <laughs> never, I've never been. Well, I mean, they butt right up against each other. Well, it's mainly because like when it's happening is when we're getting like our print, like just different things are coming and that's a lot of what I do. So if you made smart. a festival in May, I wouldn't go either. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Intersections this year because they had a lot of fringe shows in it. Um, yeah. I think it's, you know, I, I think actor, directors feel the same way, like hiring actors. I think a lot of times when you're getting ready to hire your summer show actors, you always run into this source fringe issue. You know, there's been so many times where I wanted to book an actor for fringe and they're in a source show so they can't get to rehearsals because it's just not enough rehearsal time post source yeah. to get ready for right. fringe. So there always kind of falls this interesting scheduling conflict that happens with these two festivals that employ a lot of actors in the area. Like, do you have any statistics about how many performers in the area do fringe in a given summer? Like an average? Uh, like between four and 5,000. Wow. And what about Source Fest? We're small, but we're mighty. It's like 150 yeah. <laughs> people a summer, something like that. Right, actors, right. Yeah. Actors and all artists. So. Actors and all artists. 
So we just have a couple of questions specifically to your festivals. We also have some questions about DC theater in general and just what you guys are thinking about. But I want to hear a little bit first about the Fringe Festival from Julianne and Alex. You know, Fringe Festivals are a staple in many cities. I, you know, I think Edinburgh Fringe Festivals, like the one that everyone knows about or thinks about when you think of theater Fringe Festivals or performance Fringe Festivals. So tell me a little bit about the start of Capital Fringe. Where did the seed for the idea come from? Why did you decide to get started? Well, okay. So I moved here in December of 2003 to not work in theater and work at Cultural DC and to manage their Flashpoint space and run their arts incubator program. And then it was just really different in DC at that time. It was right when the gallery place thing was starting and it was just really dark and gray and suits and really horrible place. And I was very depressed and why did I move to Washington DC? Because it was just not, it just, I don't know, I found it really hard to meet people and stuff. Um, and then I went to Philly Fringe in September the next year, and I realized that maybe that was why DC was horrible, was because there was no Fringe Festival, and there wasn't like an easy way to sort of network with people and like have an sort of open access environment where people were just trying things and not trying to curate and pretend that they were more important than they actually are. And around the same time, Damien, who was, uh, we were sort of in the beginning, we called ourselves co-founders, was also sort of mulling over the idea of starting a Fringe Festival. And then actually the commission came to Cultural DC and told us, told Anne, my boss at the time, told us that they, the DC commission wanted to start a Fringe Festival and that it would be three days and everything would be free. And I was like, no! So we got our 501c3 like very quickly after that. And then the first year the commission was our partner and everything was rosy. But a lot of it was, for me, it was just, that was sort of how I learned about theater in Philadelphia. Like the type of theater that was being done there. It was how I met a lot of people. It was very easy to participate. It was very easy to attend. And so that was my sort of interest in wanting to do it here in DC because I didn't feel like it was easy to do those things. So you're saying Philly Fringe was a good intro to you and what was going on in the theater scene in Philadelphia. Do you feel that Fringe Festival is the same thing for DC, a good intro to what's going on in the city? I think so. I mean, it's sort of hard for me to kind of have a perspective of it because I'm not just coming to DC or it's kind of like I'm all encompassed in it. But from what people say to me, I think it is that, not just for artists, but also for audiences. It sort of lets them see things outside of the, you know, regional theater scene um, and that there is there is an actual like mid-level and amateur scene that they can also participate in. So Jenny from Source Festival, your, the Source Festival website says that the start date of Source Festival was in 2008, but I was curious if Source Festival has been around longer. Is there kind of a storied past there that is. goes before 2008? There is. Well, there's sort of a, a um, you know, a predecessor to us that, that we certainly give credit to. As many people who've been in DC for a while might know, Source Theater Company used to exist out of the building that we are now in. It existed for many years and had a festival called Washington Theater Festival, and one of the things that Source Theatre Company was known for was being very open and accepting anyone and everything and it, and it was very, there tons of work got ha happened out of that space and when you talk to anyone who really participated in the heyday of that company it really meant a great deal to them and it was really prolific. And I actually, my first summer in Washington ended up interning at the Washington Theatre Festival so it was really exciting to, to be a part of that. And then in 2005, I believe, a Source Theatre Company 
went out of business. The building was in danger of being sold and becoming a pool hall. Quite a bit of community uprising. And so Cultural DC, which was Cultural Development Corporation at the time, stepped in and started a capital campaign and purchased the building so that we could keep it an art space. And through that, we had a sort of gentleman's agreement that we would revive the idea of the festival, have a summer festival that involved new work, incorporating a lot of people from the community, gave an opportunity for people to get their start in the community. So that's where the, the kind of origins of that festival came from. We didn't keep the Washington Theater Festival name because WTF is not a good acronym anymore. <laughs> um, so we called it Source Festival. And uh, Jeremy Skidmore is actually my predecessor in producing. He produced the first two years of Source Festival, and then I took over. How do you think uh, that the festival has morphed or changed since its beginning in 2008 to what we see now? Sure. Well, there's a couple of substantive changes where we decided to... I took on uh, producing full-length plays instead of short plays just because we felt and hoped that they would have more of a continued life after the festival um, than shorter plays do sometimes. We put in an application process so that we really could be open to anyone coming to the city. And I think it's funny because there are some similar goals, I think, between what Cap Fringe is doing and what we're doing, and that anybody from the city can come in and put in an application. You don't have to know someone to be a director. All of our auditions are open call auditions, and we cast almost exclusively out of those auditions. So it really can be a, a great entry point for someone who is new to the city or fresh out of school to come in and really have a lot of opportunity to work and to network with other artists in the community. And so one of the other things that I've brought into it is a mentorship program where we have established directors come and direct one of the 10-minute plays and then mentor two or three of the other directors. So there's really, we're building connections between people here and hoping to help people with down really important routes in the city. It's the sixth anniversary this year, right? right. The sixth official right. anniversary of the festival. You guys do 25 shows mm -hmm. over three weeks, mm -hmm. um, 18 10-minute plays, three artistic blind dates, three full lengths, right. and one talent show, right? Right. Why that? Is there a reason for that number? We I mean, like threes? I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I sort of inherited some of it uh, in that we had always done, I think they'd always done 18 10-minute uh, plays, and then we kind of just built the rest of it around um, kind of the schedule and looking at a way to sort of put some themed tracks between the pieces. So our 10-minute plays are kind of loosely aligned with our full-length play. Each of the blind date artists had the opportunity, to, each of their teams was assigned one of the full-length plays to read and to use as inspiration for creating their piece. So in some cases, the through line is very obvious. In some cases, it's more subtle. But it's a way, it's kind of an entry point for audience members to be able to find their way through all of this programming in three weeks. So you guys, you guys get, like, uh, I think the website said something like 650 submissions yeah a little over 700 total so, 700 this year yeah how yeah. what's what's the um what's the process like for doing that i mean i i understand right. you guys have readers and I, and i get the basics of it but like what sort of systems do you have in place for for quality control and stuff like that right so we do a couple different things with the 10 minute plays is totally an open call anyone anywhere can submit and we get all kinds of scripts from people who are just uh kind of at home hobbyists as playwrights and people who you know have a longer history of being a playwright. With the full-length plays, we do them by invitation, but it's a fairly open invitation. So anyone that has had their play produced in the festival gets an invitation. And then we do a spotter system where I reach out to other people working in the new play industry throughout the country and have them recommend two or three of their favorite people. Other people who express an interest in getting an invitation can send in a script submission, and most of them get an invitation as well. And a large part of that is just because of the resources needed to... We couldn't really read and vet 700 plays at this point, 700 full-length plays at this point. So it's 
more that than an exclusionary tactic in any way. But you have, I think, I think, well, I think it's what 10, 10 plays goes to each reader or something right, like that. Right. Um, so each reader gets ten plays. We have an online um, form that they fill out where they can score the play both numerically and in, in word descriptions. And we have a kind of formula for combining what those numeric scores are with the written descriptions. And one of the categories we always pay a lot of attention to, certainly all the plays that both score high. Each play has at least two readers. By the time they're selected, they've had about six readers. So of course we look at the plays where both readers scored them high, but we're also very interested in the plays where one reader has scored very high and one has scored very low. Mm -hmm. So we actually spend a lot of time with that group of plays because they're they're triggering something in people. They're causing a visceral reaction and we want to know what that is. Um, so we spend a lot of time going through those kinds of plays too and discuss the reading the comments and discussing and of course reading the plays themselves. Okay, but initially there's, uh, as far as quality control, so you're so if I submitted a play, two people would be reading yep. it, essentially. We'll read it. I have a quick question about local playwrights. Do you, is, is there any idea of percentage of how many local playwrights end up in the Source Festival or, I, I know, you know, directors and actors is <laughs> a different issue, yeah, but as far yeah. as the work that's in the festival, is there any part of the mission of Source Festival to give a higher weight to local writers, or how does that factor in? We don't give a higher weight to local writers because we wanted the festival to reflect a kind of national complexion of playwriting. Mm -hmm. When I am making the final selections and we're down to our top 25 or so, I will definitely look over that list and kind of think about making sure that we have a good balance of voices and, and regional voices and that kind of thing too. So that's where that factors in. Um, this year I think we have four um, Washington-based playwrights. So. Great. For the artists that do submit and don't get selected, I'm sure there's probably 700 roughly, <laughs> right. minus 25 right. that, that right. get in. For them, if they, how, what's the, what's the process for like reapplying or something like that? Like, do you come back? So, if I submitted my play this year and it didn't do well, it didn't get selected, do I come back with that same play next year and go, well, maybe I'll get two people that read it that actually love it, or can I submit multiple pieces? Um, we only allow one submission per playwright, but you're welcome to submit it multiple times, and if a playwright asks about that, I always encourage them to do so, because there is a factor of this that is like the lottery. I mean, we have a hundred different people, they have a hundred different, different opinions, and depending on the day and the mood and the reader you get, you might get a different response. So, yeah, we're absolutely open to that, and we have seen that, and we've seen plays that didn't get through the first year or two, then get through in a third year, so... It really just depends on a lot of variables, really. Is there any sort of plan for providing the feedback that was received from the readers to the people, the, to the writers that m might request it, for instance? It's a possibility, yeah. It's something that um, we're actually looking at a kind of a new database system that might make that a little more manageable to do. And so I think it would be a really interesting option. Um, and I think I'd be interested in seeing whether playwrights want that kind of feedback or not. I mean, they may and they may not, but it might be something that we do. But it's art, you know, it's objective. And so somebody's opinion doesn't necessarily mean it's right. It's you know, we, we embrace the subjectivity of it too, so. So kind of on this same topic, I guess to Julianne, Fringe, Capital Fringe Festival is the second largest unjuried Fringe Festival in the country. Am I right about that? Mm -hmm. um, so talk to me a little bit about the decision to have Fringe Festival be unjuried and well, why that choice? That's what Fringe is. Plus DC already has enough curated stuff going on. And DC, in my opinion, needs more places where people are not judged and they are allowed to put on whatever they want to do. So it's actually, it would probably be a lot easier to do a curated festival, um, to have benchmarks that you want to hit and you get them and there you go. Doing an uncurated festival, I mean, Alex can probably speak to this a lot with just dealing, she deals more with the artists than I do at this point. We just deal with people from all over, people with 
all different sorts of issues, levels um, of experience, levels of experience. Um, and it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing because there is so much judgment in it. Like we can judge someone and be like, Oh my God, that person, or Oh my God, that person's amazing. But then you go and see their show and it's like a completely, so it's, it's, it's really like, I feel like we just, I really learned just a lot about like humans. <laughs> Does anyone ever call into account the the quality that might arise from having an unjuried fringe festival? That they might see some that just aren't good, and they're you know, is there a way that you is there any way to manage that? I guess might be my question. To manage what? The level of quality of shows. If something's unjuried. Well, it sort of has um, managed itself. Okay. To be honest with you, like the first year of the festival, I would say a lot of the shows were really really bad. Yeah. Second year, third year bad really like the percentage of bad shows was really high but that's because I mean we're 45 percent local and when I when we say local we mean Washington DC we don't mean Virginia and Maryland okay. um so people were learning how to do the festival because it's very different than doing your show in November for three weeks or for two weekends or something so it's very different it's just it's more of an onslaught of like uh it's just it's a very different experience so people were learning how to you know sort of market their shows in different ways, package themselves and sell the, sell their shows in a way that was a quick snippet and someone's going to get interested in that. It's just very, very different. Um, so as things have progressed and we've also tightened our deadlines and been a little bit more like, you know, just we've learned like different tactics. Um, you really kind of have to have your shit together to yeah. actually pull off a show and actually have a good show or a show that you want to do. I haven't, I actually haven't seen like a really horrible show in a while. And I usually see like 19 or 20 shows. Like, I mean, I don't, you can't see them all, but um, I haven't really seen a bad show since 2010. And it was really bad. <laughs> but that's, that's also part of it. Like part of it is the game and the gamble, you know? Right. And that's part of the I think you guys have fun. done a really good job of creating that brand, of making that yeah, clear like too, it's, that, it's, yeah. that it's a gamble. And, a, and you have to come and hang out. Like you can't just go and like read the guide in your bedroom and then decide you want to go to a show. Like you have to come and like be a part of the community and hang out in the tent and talk to people. And um, it's kind of a grab bag. You never know what you're going to get. Because a lot of it is you get to meet the artists because the artists are there, you know, promoting their shows. And so you can actually have like conversations with the artists while they're doing stuff. So you get to they get to convince audience members to go to shows and then you get guilted in and you go. <laughs> so a, a big part of Fringe Festival is self-producing. So maybe Alex, you can talk a little bit about this being the artist services manager, you know, what you probably have to deal, like you were just saying, a lot of people who are self-producing for the very first time and might have no clue what they're doing besides the fact that they have this idea and they want to put it up yeah. or they want something to go on its feet. How do you navigate that of dealing with some companies that I'm sure have produced before and are using mm -hmm. Fringe Festival as an avenue to get space in DC for a period of time versus people who are kind of throwing things together and learning on the fly. I mean, a lot of it is is having a timeline in place early, getting that timeline out to people. That timeline's very clear to artists when they apply. And then we kind of reiterate that a lot. We're really, you know, when if an artist misses a deadline, we're on it right away and you go, look, you've missed this, here's your cushion. And then after that point, you know, we've got issues. And it's it's also, it's it's almost in some cases being prepared to provide too much information and realize that the people who don't need that that information and that teaching almost 
are, are just going to be like, yep, I'm good. That's fine. I'll move on. Um, and be ready to just be like, nope, I will give you this hand. If you don't need it, that's great. If you do need it, keep asking me questions. And, you know, as simple as ending every single email you send to an artist with, if you have any questions, let me know. And being very clear that, um, yeah, you know, you, you get some people who don't know what a scene change is, but literally <laughs> do not know what a scene change is. And because I and think that's it's also fine. important to say like, we are we are technically not a theater festival. Yeah, I know we're talking about theater festivals, but we're not a theater festival. We're no. we're a performing arts festival. So we and so we deal with a lot of people that are coming coming to us from different yeah. you know from dance, from performance art, from, from live music. music yeah, you know d different things, and so. We have certain terminology that we use, and then they have terminology, that, and then we all learn to have our own terminology. <laughs> Great. So you guys have, um, what was the number on the website? I don't know. Fringe has premiered 400 new works, right? So, yeah. Of, of performance pieces. Of that collection of stuff, what are, what are some things that you just really remember and would love to see more of? Oh, wow, yeah. Um, hmm. Like, if you had to pick, like, the, you know, I saw this show, I don't remember the name of it at all. Uh, it was in Red Rum, and it was like a girl on a drum kit, somebody, another girl with a hula hoop, and it was another musical instrument. And there was like five of us in the house, and one of them was my board member. And they were just like, I don't know, it was like this very abstract, like, uh, telling of something with the woods. I loved it, my board member hated it like no more hula hoops um but i really like it the shows that actually use take storytelling and sort of try to get it to the next level sort of getting away from that like this is a scripted thing and like it's just like ah you know the scripts can we just like move on um and, this, and really using all of the elements in which we communicate nowadays and like thinking about how we speak and thinking about technology like this year we have like so many people using projection like oh my god we have a lot of projectors um, but really using elements to tell the story that are are pair, like paring down the technical aspects of it, but also using technology and also using the flow and like the dramatic structure of so, just trying new things. But then at the same time, you know, there's always like those shows that are like the musical theater things that are really fun, like Mindset last year. And like, oh, like the Hamlet, the super violent Hamlet by We Happy Few was really good. Uh, so I really like everything. I think as long as the performers are, as long as people are into it, it's yeah. great. You guys got the, um, so this year, you guys received the, the, uh, the Washington Post award thing presented at the Helen Hayes this year. Yeah. Which is, congrats. When uh, and I remember part of that speech, you said something about. Um, I don't know what I said. And I wrote it down. Uh, our work, our movement has been filled with sweat and tears, pitfalls and successes. What would you say like were the biggest successes and or pitfalls that you faced down in your history that you're that have shaped the way you handle the festival now or or going to in the future? Oh, wow. Um, Sorry, that I guess that sounds really deep. but No, it's a lot, because it's just like, the thing about doing the summer festival is that it's really, really large, and there's never, like, five things that are important. Mm -hmm. There's always, like, 30 to 50. 
And so a lot of it is really like, I can legitimately do three things at the same time. And I really do like having two computers on my desk. And it, it's, it's, you know, once we sort of get through, get everything done, it's like, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but I think a lot of our successes have been about hustling be able to overcome challenges very, very quickly, losing funding, getting new funding, creating new funding streams, because a lot of what we do costs a lot of money. I mean, to produce the festival, we basically spend $400,000 before we actually have it. And so figuring out the financial system to do that and like not fall apart <laughs> is, you know, that was a very big logistical challenge. Also remaining open, mm-hmm. like remaining open to keeping it unjuried because i like at one time i was thinking we were going to change and do something else but then it was like it was too much to do that and it didn't seem true um but doing that is actually remaining open is really really hard (laughs) yeah um we've just had a lot of pitfalls i don't know i mean we have them all like every day (laughs) to be honest with you it's like a lot of what we do is just we just have a lot of failure and it's about getting up again and making a success out of it. I mean, our whole theme this year is that we're spinning cardboard into gold. It's like Rumpelstiltskin, but I've sort of changed the story so it's a little bit more urbanized and we don't have hay, like where do you have hay, you know? (laughs) Um, So, and that's sort of what we're really trying to encourage all the artists and audiences that participate and attend the festival this year is to really sort of relish that if you have something that's negative, you can always change it into something positive. So just to get back to what you were saying about sort of the difference between juried versus unjuried, it sounds to me, just basically from, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Source is a new play festival. Right. Fringe is a performing arts Festival. festival. Source is a place to get exposure and experience, and Fringe is a place to experiment to follow along the lines of what you were saying to fail and pick yourself back up again figure out what works what doesn't and how to do it better do you i'm trying to think how the hell to phrase this this <laughs> like this thing that's in my head right now how do you encourage and and bring in artists that are willing to take that risk to put themselves out there and not shelter them from the cold but kind of like stand behind them and say no do it go for it how do you how do, you, how do you help minimize that feeling of insecurity? Yeah, well, I mean, it's saying yes as much as you can, you know? It's saying yes to their opportunities, their their ideas, um, and supporting them, but also, um, in our case, to give them some structure and some framework and some people to bounce things off of and some people to talk to um, and to go to when they have those crises of what they're doing and why they're doing um, and to have that system in place. But I think it's a lot of the same thing that, that Alex just said, is say, just putting it out there and saying, let us know what you don't know, let us know what your questions are. Um, and being there and being adaptable to different levels of experience, um, which we have a lot of too. So, well, and I also think it's a very different risk for someone working in Source Festival versus someone working in Fringe Festival. You know, well, someone working yeah. in in Source Festival as a director, let's say, is getting hired to be a director. They and are, and there's a weird amount of pressure on that. I found that, like, uh, a lot of for a lot of people, this is one of their first steps out, and they're meeting a lot of new people, and they're in front of. Um, people they don't know very well and there's a lot of 
not that we're putting it on them, I, I don't think, but that they feel themselves a lot of pressure and expectation for what they put out there. So trying to make them feel comfortable and confident about what they're doing, try to giving them giving them the resources they need to do that successfully is a big part of what we do. And I think one of the things that we're really good at doing is being able to help an individual who comes to the city and doesn't know anybody and doesn't have that team of people to put on the play yet, but um, needs the needs the other pieces around it. Right, and I and I, I felt that way. I mean, I've and for full disclosure reasons, <laughs> I've worked for Source Festival twice. I'm an alumni from Source Fest. I was participated in the participated in the Artistic Blind Dates program in 2010, and then was a 10 minute play director in 2011. And that was just a really great jumping off point, you know, knowing that a lot of people were going to come see Source Festival and like feeling like I really wanted quality work put out there. And especially in the Artistic Blind Dates where I was putting out my writing uh, and my acting and my directing all on the plate Uh, in a big way in D.C. uh, It was a very great jumping off point in the same token I've produced at Fringe as well and I think that's putting yourself out there in a very different way in a in a financial way mm-hmm. you know for a small company they are taking a huge risk to put out the money that is required to participate in Fringe which for some small companies is a lot you know for some bigger companies you know the the rate to get into Fringe is probably not that big of a deal but for some smaller companies putting that out there and being a part of a festival and hoping to get some exposure but also to maybe try and make ends meet financially and maybe even make some money I don't know how often that happens in Fringe for companies to make money last year was 1400 was so, the median payback can yeah. you can you so I'm sorry the median payback last year was 1400 so right. I mean it it is risky but it's not like you'd have to really really fail yeah and not, not really be like in it to not sell tickets right at this point of, right because we just have a lot more audiences now and I think overall the just the press coverage that the artists receive at the summer festival, um, you know, almost every show gets reviewed. Um, the Post covers many of the shows. City Paper covers many of the shows. So it's a great it's a great place for people to get reviews that then they mm-hmm. can use. You know going on and some of that stuff is kind of priceless well and as we've seen both of your festivals are really a jumping off point for companies mm-hmm. that have been formed in dc i mean mm-hmm. we were talking about helen hayes awards dizzy's dizzy miss lizzie's <coughs> roadside review just won the Jonet uh alo uh award <laughs> um and then uh force collision was actually created in an artistic blind date um, talk about some of the successes that you success stories from the festival as far as the work goes. Yeah, I think for us, a lot of it uh, is in the collaborations. You know, is putting people together and making those connections, and and us doing the kind of matchmaking about it that. Um, artistic blind dates in particular. And I think I would amend what I said to you. I think we're a theater festival, not a new play festival, because I think accounting for what we do with the artistic blind dates, which is really devised original work, makes us more of a theater festival. But, you know, we have artists apply as individuals with artistic statements without a project pitch at all. And our panel selects the ones that we think are the most exciting and pairs them up into three groups of three and gives them very little money and time and some space to create pretty much whatever they want. And we call them artistic blind dates. And just like blind dates, some people never want to see each other again and some people have made lifelong partnerships and I think that's one of the most exciting things for me is seeing people that are then working together and that happens through our 10 minute plays and our full length plays too as people are meeting designers and other actors and directors that they want to work with and it's just about opening up people's networks and then seeing where they go forward with that. 
And then what about Fringe Festival? I think there's been a lot of successes coming out of Fringe. I mean, I think the collaboration aspect of it and just people being able to meet each other in a way that's not a structured event, I think is also really cool. There's been a lot of shows that have gone on and toured other festivals. There's been shows that have been picked up by regional theaters. There's been shows that have been picked up by Pixar. There's been shows that have, you know, just, it kind of goes on and on and on. And it, But like the through line of it all is really continuing to try to figure out what the, what is actually happening here in Washington, D.C. Like what is, what is our story that we're telling with the performing arts? And we're still figuring it out. I don't even know the answer to that yet. Two years ago, I was very upset that I hadn't figured that out yet. But um, <laughs> it's still, you know, we're still evolving as to like what type of work is done here, because um, a lot of this is so tied into what resources we can actually get. A different kind of success, getting away from the work, but into the community success. You know, I think one of the things that Fringe Festival did was really bring up an area of the city. You know, I think no one can deny what Fringe Festival did for that part of New York Avenue in just making it a spot in the city. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? I mean, what do you want me to say? Uh, yeah, I, just all the, of that the, has happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, a lot of it just kind of happened. I mean, right. I always feel like if something is meant to be and if it's something that's authentic, things just kind of roll out. You don't have to force stuff. And, you know, I, I kind of got that building by being told no. And then I was told, let's walk down here and look at this. And I was like, all right. And then we walked in and then I signed a multi-year lease in the parking lot. So, and it wasn't like, we didn't really know what we were doing when we got that building. We didn't know we'd be there that long. We didn't know anything, you know. And so there was just so much learning that was happening. But it really was just like... We're going to take advantage of everything that we can. And, and so that's what we've tried to do. And now you're going to be moving out of that space, from what I understand, in the near future. What does that mean for Fringe Festival and its future? Lots of questions. Lots of questions. I mean, really, we're trying to figure out what's the, like, what is a good role for us to play? There's very limited, small black box theater space in D.C., which Amen the more that that, that yeah. keeps going away the more that the scene that we've created will die because there's nowhere to do anything and why don't you just move to Baltimore or wherever, you know, Portland, Oregon, why not? Is, is that a reason to to open it up a little bit more? I mean, I know um, Find Your Own Venue, for instance, mm. is the, the, the caveats of that are that you have to be in D.C. and... A lot of that reason for having it in D.C. like that is because it's logistical. Like, you can't go... A lot of what happens is people want to go to see four shows in a day. Mm -hmm. And so if you have shows that are all like, like 2007, I did that. We were all over the place and ticket sales were horrible. Like a very pop, I'm not going to say who it was, but a very popular company got like a $200 check because I put them, this was 2007, but I put them at the Atlas and like nobody was going out there. Nobody knew how to get there. It was like, what? X2? I don't know what that is. So a lot of it, the DC thing is just to keep it so that people can go to multiple shows because that's what people do. So to keep it dense and like close so you can always move between. Now, I don't know, I feel like we're in Silver Spring right now. And I mean, it's it's stumbling distance from the metro. I mean, you've got like Forum over here. If you go to like Bethesda, you've got the Roundhouse space over there. If you go to Roslyn, you've got like Artisphere, all these different spaces. To those people, to those artists that apply to Fringe that, um, that can't get in because it's already full or they're waitlisted or something like that, and they do find a venue that's ju that happens to be just outside. I mean, is that a risk that that Fringe should allow them to take to say? I like, don't think it would work. 
you don't think it would work? So if no, like I mean, we we've had venues that are sort of far away, and it's just it's hard for them to sell tickets because the festival isn't about being in, in your venue in Silver Spring. Right. It's about being at the festival, and the festival like we have twelve venues that you can get to in five to ten minutes. Right. And all those shows sell better than shows that are further away. Right. And so I guess my question is is basically like I don't know. I just like. Uh, I, I, I'm like I'm I'm struggling to grasp like why why I mean if if the company that wants to do it somewhere else for instance Artisphere or wherever Roslyn Alexandria Silver Spring Bethesda if they want to take that risk put that money into apply and everything and you say hey listen you know history says that it doesn't do well all the way out here shouldn't that I mean well, I is, think isn't that I part think of isn't asked, that part I of failing I guess I think you're you're I think you're asking the wrong question. Okay. I think, I mean, a lot of what we're sort of talking about is having different hubs of the festival. Because, like, what we've learned by doing the festival for eight years is that a standalone venue that's far away doesn't do well. So, no, I'm not going to put an artist in that situation. Because our job is to make sure that artists have successful times in the festival. And if we know, we have historical data saying that it's not going to work, why would we do that to someone? And just because they think they're going to do it, they may have done a show out there in whatever month. It's not the month of Fringe, so it's a different time. But there are, I mean, there's so many opportunities. <laughs> like, literally, there are so many opportunities that we can seize. And right now, we're just in the process of trying to figure out what are the best ones. For people outside of D.C. that can't find space in yeah. D.C., why can't they use the find your own venue tool in Bethesda Silver Spring? And what I'm saying is why don't they ask the fringe to set up a neighborhood in Silver Spring where we have four or five venues here. So you have multiple hubs yeah. instead of So how, how how do we how do we do that? Is there a way to set up a second hub? You have to ask us. <laughs> We're a supply and demand type situation. Okay, okay. Well, like, so I mean, you and I your four friends so, have to ask her. That's right, fair. Well, I'm just, well, I guess yeah. I'm just trying to think well, of the self-producer in Silver Spring. You know, I live out in Gaithersburg. I mean, um, I don't know. Like, honestly, we're like, just, we're I'm, like looking at all of this stuff right now and just trying to figure out how to keep, you know, keep it going. You yeah. know, and so, but I mean, that's, I don't know. it's something to be said. If you have, if I have t if, 10 artists emailing me and saying, we want to do blah, 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 blah. I'm going to be like, well, oh, what's that? Well, but it's also something to be said, too, that if you guys have been having a success in ticket sales, when you locate the festival to one small radius or one hub in the city, I mean, at a business standpoint, that makes sense to keep it in that. It totally you know, works. It totally works. And and so I, the, the reason I asked... I can't fault... You know, I wouldn't fault you for that in any way to keep things in that well, small radius. No, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not a question of fault or anything yeah. like that at all, I don't think. I ask just purely from the self-producing standpoint. Right, right. Of, for... Like, say, um, what was it? Last year they had um, uh, Over the Line. Last right. year was Over the Line. They had Dog and Pony came, did Beard Town, Happenstance came... Contradiction, um, contradiction dance, dance forum. forum, and I mean those are all companies that, and there was other stuff in there as well. So I mean, there's there's clearly a community of artists in this particular area as well that mm -hmm. that would, if if they were to get in touch and say, hey, listen, is there a way of creating a secondary hub out here? Like, hey, we have this space. We've got five different groups of artists that want to work here and want to do a show, and we want to be part of Fringe. We want it to be considered part of Fringe. How do we do that? I mean, is it as Let's simple as writing an email? It's as simple as writing an email and having a conversation. It's really, really like that. <laughs> and is that about, on Fringe Festival's part, keeping clear communication with 
their artists and you know being that avenue to to try new things is that kind of come from that energy it's just about we're not really like super set in our ways you know like we're pretty we're pretty transitory as an organization we're pretty uh you know movable and it's also about doing the right thing that's the right thing for the artists and audiences um so that everyone can have a good time. And it sounds like Fringe is targeting an audience member who's going to hop from venue to venue to see as many shows during Fringe as possible. Am I correct? Well, that's what they're doing. That is what they're doing. And, and so you, that's how we communicate And you them. target them by creating a festival that fits within a certain radius. Yeah, I mean, because since we've condensed everything geographically, our ticket sales have gone up substantially every year. So okay. it seems to be working. And, and is the same thing on Source? Are you looking to get audience members who are going to come to all of the blind dates, all of the one at, or yeah. all of the 10 minutes, all of the full length. So we instituted ticket packages a couple years ago, um, which seems like it would have been a natural choice, but we added it about two years ago. And we um, have an all access pass and we have a four play pass. And we've seen really good sales, particularly with the four play pass of people wanting to catch a couple of things. And we kind of restructured the way the schedule works for the festival so that you can see all of the programming until the very last weekend, which did not used to be the case. We used to separate it out and do 10 minute plays and then blind dates and then um, full length plays. And we just were sort of losing momentum and people weren't able to get a kind of full complexion of what we were doing. So now if you wanted to buy an all access pass two days before the festival ended, you could still see all 25 works in that last weekend. What is is the cost of an all access pass? Sorry, all access is 100. All access is 100. So you could see all of Source for $100. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've structured it that way. We've put our blind dates, which are shorter events, between our 10 minutes and our full length so they can kind of be an appetizer or dessert to seeing something um, in the black box so people can get a more full experience. And then what's uh, what's a ticket cost for one... An individual ticket. One individual yeah. show. Our blind dates are $10. The other ones, uh, the full length and the 10 minutes are $20. $20. What's the structure for like the 10 minutes? Is it is it each 10-minute play would be... six. 10 minutes. So to see six 10 minute plays is $20. And then Fringe Festival, what does an individual show cost? Well, it depends on how you purchase your tickets. Okay. Um, part, so talk to me a little our, bit about the most tickets. Most of our sales are done through our passes, okay. which we have six different, six different passes. Um, and so the average ticket price that we did last year for people who attended the festival was $11.24. Um, if you choose to purchase a single ticket, which not very many people do, because most people aren't seeing one show, it's $17. But if you purchase like a four pack, a six pack, a 10 pack, a 20 pack, or the all access, it really gets that individual uh, ticket price down. So if you're coming to see one show and that's it, it's gonna be a higher price than if you're gonna go see multiple shows. So does that well, kind of also, help encourage folks to buy well, multiple tickets? it's also tickets? how we do our group sales. So if you're going to a show and you're bringing a date uh-huh. and a four pack is great, you can go to two shows. Or if you're bringing 20 people, which some people do, you can get a 20 back. Yeah, ours work that way too. So your all access pass could be you and your nine best friends at one show. Or it could great. Be all right, now because this episode is a lot longer than we originally intended, we're gonna take a quick break here and jump right back in exactly where we left off. Don't go too far. Welcome back. You're listening to Lights Up, the DC Theater Podcast. 
Our guests on this episode were Julianne Brianza and Alex Engel of Capital Fringe and Jenny McConnell-Frederick of Source Festival and Cultural DC. Just before we went on break, we were getting into the topic of ticket prices. Let's go ahead and jump right back in. Great. So uh, on the topic of ticket sales as well uh, and ticket prices, one of, uh, you know, we put out to our listeners, do you have any questions? Um, And we did get some questions from some of our listeners. I've got a question here. Uh, Hello, Maboud and Matt. Um, Love what you guys are doing for artists in D.C. and what Source and Fringe does for the D.C. theater scene as well. Thank you. Could you ask your guests to share with us where the revenues go? I believe some people are paid, but not all. Who gets what and why? How does Source handle who's hired, who's paid, who's not? Um, Everybody is paid something, uh, except our interns, who actually mostly get some sort of backstage job that pays them as well. So all of our artists are paid in some capacity. Um, It's not a lot, um, and it's just a flat fee. It's not a cut of the tickets, but... um, they go in knowing exactly how much they're going to make. And, and that's a new development in the last three years, too. Okay. I guess to the first particular part of that, like, could you ask your guest to share with us where the revenue goes? Well, it goes back into Cultural DC. I mean, Cultural DC is a nonprofit that makes space for art in a lot of different ways. So we mm-hmm. have a visual art program, we have a consulting program, um, and we have another performing arts program, Meet Theater Lab program. Um, so, like any nonprofit, our revenue comes from individual contributors, some government funding, some foundation funding, um, and then that gets dispersed back out through the same programs. Cool. Do you offer any sort of incentives for um, for, uh, for for the artists involved, such as uh, like guest passes or? or... Yeah, yeah um, all the festival artists get um, two comps to bring somebody to a show or whatever they want to do with it. Um, they also get um, discount tickets um, to give to their friends, uh, discount code that the festival artists can use. And we're pretty liberal with all those discounts, so it's pretty easy to get in. We also have an artist standby list, so if artists want to get in to see a show but not use their comp for it, we can accommodate that too. Oh, cool. Awesome. Jillian, Alex? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, come next week on our blog, that we'll, you can see, we just did a state of friend address on Tuesday night, so if you really want to dive in and see where our money goes, you'll be more than able to look at our wonderful charts. On average, the groups in the festival get 60% of their ticket revenue back. Right. Um, where does our money go? Uh, we pay. We have a lot. We have a staff of about seventy-seven people. Um, the last two years. For, that includes the for the festival. Um, so we have three employees, but mm-hmm. then we hire contractors to be venue managers, bartenders, volunteer coordinators, box office staff, and everyone is paid for that, and they're paid a living wage. They're not paid like you know minimum wage. Um, we try really hard to make sure that people. We sort of use the rule of thumb that. If you're working for friends, you should feel comfortable going out and buying four beers and having a meal and not feeling like that is a decision that you have to make and you're like <laughs> sacrificing money to do that. We are 75% earned revenue, mm-hmm. um, which means, uh, so in 2009, we started running the Baldacino Gypsy Temp Bar ourselves, um, mainly because we had lost the Meyer Foundation grants and lost some um, government money as well. And so we needed to kind of make that up. So we we make money at the bar. It's great. People love the bar too. We are so the rest of it is you know we're a nonprofit, so mm-hmm. we get grants and things like that and commission money. So you said seventy percent of it is earned revenue from bars. The bar, from like- the button, um, selling advertising, various. How, things. how how much does ticket sales factor into that? We really only take in like almost 20% because we give I mean last year we gave over $200,000 to the artists so we don't actually 
it's not really our money. Like the artists are getting sixty percent of the ticket revenue that we bring in from the festival. Right. So. And all the other stuff is basically administrative and venue costs, is what you're saying. Yes, yeah, so we rent all the venues, and the venue rentals range from you know fifteen thousand to three thousand per you know per venue, um, and then having a staff person at each venue. So. So for 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 fringe part, uh, staff and everybody's paid. Um, participants are, it's purely the company themselves, right? They get an artist pass. They have okay. to fill out an artist roster by... 3rd of June. 3rd of June. If you don't fill it out, you're out of luck. Because um, it's just, you know, you got to cut it off. Um, and then they get artist passes, and it's $10 tickets to whatever they want to do. We have had people be like, we just want free tickets. Well, if you want free tickets, volunteering is a wonderful option. But we actually feel like people should pay for theater and performing arts. And then people should get paid for it. And that doesn't involve comp tickets. Um, they also get 10% of their house, of their entire run at the festival, to do comps. And they don't have to do press comps because we handle all the press. So if they want to comp anyone, they can comp them themselves. But they can make that decision because they are the producer of the show. So you uh, mentioned buttons. We had another question about buttons. <laughs> Fucking buttons. Um, buttons, right. Um, Hi. <laughs> uh, this is from Lisa. Lisa has hi, decided Lisa. to share her name. Hello, Lisa. Um, hi. I'm very confused. <laughs> uh, I'm very confused by fringe buttons. In the past, I've purchased a button, forgotten it at home, or lost it, and had to purchase a new one to see a second or third show. With prices uh, as high as they were last year, I saw fewer shows than I'd ever seen. Please explain to me why the buttons. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, I think I I have a sim I've had a similar experience with the buttons. I remember there was uh, one year of the festival where I think I purchased three buttons because I I'm forgetful and a lot of times artists are transient. You know, like I'm never at my apartment, so there were many times where I was at a rehearsal. And then, or I was doing something in the city and it was like, oh, let me go see a Fringe show. And then I get to the venue and it's like, ah, no button, forgot the button. And kind of asking people on the street who just came out of a show, like, hey, you're gonna use that button later? <laughs> like, can I get that button from you? And so I, you know, I, and we, uh, when I was telling people that we were having you on the show and I asked them if they had any questions, that was the biggest question we heard. Was I'm can sorry. you ask her? So what is the question? Why why using buttons? Why not just purchase a ticket and be able to go in the show? Why do you why do you have to also purchase? Well, the button, a button? is a really great connector. Um, it actually we do button discounts throughout the year, mm -hmm. um, and it actually you know we have about thirty thousand people on our mailing list and our open rate and our Twitter and our Facebook. We have really great a really great following. So the button is a great mechanism to do that and offer. And we don't. Like primarily, we don't charge people to offer discounts, um, and most people who have offered them has have seen some sort of like success from offering them to our list because they're, they're people who want to see things, um, and it keeps a good through line throughout the year. Um, it's also kind of a fringe tradition. Um, most festivals, a lot of festivals have them. Um, most festivals in Canada have them. Minnesota Fringe has it. So it's not like it's like, we're the only ones and why are we doing it? During the festival, we have like 30 to 40 button discounts. So honestly, if you go and use one discount, you've paid for your button already. Yeah. So what if you forget your button? A lot of that is, I mean, I get it. Like I forget my button a lot too, you know? Um, 
But are you paying? <laughs> are you, are you paying to, to get in? Are you paying tickets to get in? So if you forget your button, do you not get is to go in? Is that a fair question? <laughs> like, well, yeah, it kind of um, is. Because if I forget my button, I don't get to go. I until I buy a new button. Great. Um, so it's we're a business, and I think like if you went to if you got a bunch of gift certificates to go to the movies for free and mm-hmm. you lost them, and then you wanted to get in or you know just things like that, like mm-hmm. it's. It's just part of the game. Like you yeah. need to not lose your button. Um, That's a hard sell for your mother. Like when I when my mom comes to see my one show at Fringe <laughs> and really wants to pay to go see my show and doesn't want to take my comp, but I have to tell her she has to buy a button. She's not going to come back and use any discounts because she doesn't live in the area. So telling her, well, if you go down to Chinatown, you'll get this price off of this show that you've never heard of that your son's not in. Convincing well, her to buy a button is kind of really, a hard sell. But that's not really who it's targeted to. It's targeted to making Fringe be about the whole community. The whole city comes alive with Fringe. And walking up and down 7th Street or going down to Columbia Heights and seeing the button signs in the window and that, you know, what is that? How can I get that? You know, it, it really is, it's a really great sort of connector. Mm-hmm. Seeing people walking around wearing the buttons when you're like all the way down by Navy Memorial going to Teaism. I like it. I think it really, I mean, I, like the I, think it's a, I think it's a very easy thing to complain about. Like, I think it's like the most obvious thing that you could complain about, which is why people complain about it and why we talk about it all the time. But without the button, we would not have, one, like business-wise, we probably wouldn't be able to do all the things that we do. We would not be able to sustain ourselves in the way that we have. We also would not be able to extend the festival outside of the summer fringe and offer things to people outside of the summer fringe. So. I don't know. People are going to always complain about it, and it's fine. If I were probably coming to the festival now, I'd be like, what? But... Well, do you think the added step of having to worry about a button reduces the willingness for potential audience members? No. No? I mean, it hasn't so far. Our ticket numbers have gone up every year. Do you think (laughs) ticket sales have gone up every year because Fringe is just more visible than it was three, four years ago? And that the buttons aren't really the connector to why its ticket sales are going up? What do you think? Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. I, I kind of said what I thought. I don't think... Uh, and you're right. It might be an easy thing to complain about. But if, you know, everyone we talked to about Capital Fringe mentioned it um, as a deterrent and But are as you talking issue, to artists or are you talking to audience members? Both. I talk to people all the time. I'm a producer and I run my own theater festival. So I talk to audience members, sponsors and subscribers, actors and performers all the time. So, uh, I guess, I so guess, like my mother is not in the DC theater community. Okay. So you've, and you kind of identified her as not your audience member. Um, no, I'm not. I'm saying that the, but, my, but I can say my mom found, mom. go ahead. I'm just saying the, the, the advantages to the button aren't necessarily about your mom going to your show. Anyone's mom. I just was using my mom as an well, example. I, mean, I guess because having, you said you had 400 some artists in DC, most of them have moms who are coming or people are coming out of town. I always have people come from all over to see my shows. Mm-hmm. I have friends from Baltimore who are just like, hey, I heard you're doing this show. 
we want to come see it. And I have to tell all of them that they have to buy a button that they're immediately going to throw in the trash can after they leave fringe. So that was just an extra $5. I think the button's $5 um, that they had to, $7. Five or seven. Five it's or seven. five between June 17th and midnight on July 10th. July 10th. But okay. if you have that friend coming in from Baltimore to come see your show and mm-hmm. paying their $5 or their $7 for their button, is mm-hmm. that going to encourage them to go see another show because they've already bought their button? Typically, no, I don't think so. That's uh, that's my opinion. That's why, because my I and just speaking, you know, I, my mom is, I guess, the 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 audience <laughs> member of the night for the episode. But just uh, attending, you know, Source Festival was a much easier process in terms of just how much she had to put out in order to go see the show. And I'm just thinking, using my mom as an example, as that person who's kind of the outsider um, coming from to Fringe Festival from another town, not a DC insider. I agree, if you're a DC insider, the button is a really visible... I don't think it's for DC insiders. It's also, I mean, we don't just have locals going to the festival. It, it really is about being part of a festival okay. that's about the city. So Great. I don't... Things are just. I, I don't. I don't really know what to say to you because you fine. just keep saying. You just keep coming back. Well, with, I guess. Like, I guess. A, so I don't. I don't really know. What I else guess the to question say. is like: Is there a way of figure out a way to make those the benefits of the button extend to the people that want a button, and for the people that don't want a button, they don't get one. Like, is there the way you've kind of have like uh, the passes sort of okay. set up? Like, if you buy a pass. Like, to see one show, whatever, 15, 20 bucks or whatever it is to see a show, like, and you, and that's all you're going to see? That's that's whatever. I mean, that should be your thing. Like, you buy your ticket, you see the show, you go home. Oh, I want to see several shows. Oh, look, the button gives me all these added extra benefits of, like, discounts at other stores or restaurants or you know, whatever kind of benefits the button offers. Is there value in letting it be its own entity or something that's attached to purchasing a pass as opposed to for the single ticket buyer. Sure, I mean, there's lots of possibilities. I, just think that, I mean, for someone like myself, I use the button. You know, like the button is something that definitely works for me. You know, because I will accept that I lose it all the except time. Transients. Except when I'm like running, for, except when I'm running from place to place. But if I go to see a show in November or something like that and I have my button, then I am getting that discount. And then it is a good thing because I am the type of audience member that is going to go see something in November. Does, um, does Source have an equivalent sort of thing with like a discount benefit package for... No, I mean we have you know our tickets are cheaper when bought by a package, but there's no there's no button component. You just come up. But do you can you ticket. use your source program or anything to get? We have some discounts. restaurant discounts, so we do VIP tickets that are um, thirty two dollars, and they're reserved seats. Um, you get a free concession and you get a discount at um, a neighborhood restaurant. So that's kind of our connection there. And we have restaurant partners that offer other discounts for uh, happy hours and things like that. Okay, great. So changing gears, uh, I'm curious what. And this is for both of you. So we'll start with Jenny and then go Julianne and Alex, because I want to hear your opinion of this too. Um, what are the three of you most excited about in your festival? I don't know if you can name specific shows, or but is there something that like you have that you've seen the preview of, or you've been in the reading of, or you read the play, and you're just like, I cannot wait until the summer so I can go see this. Like, what's that thing that's exciting you uh, about the festival this year? Is there is there a show that's 
It's such a hard question to answer because, like, I know all the projects intimately right, because we're right. just such a different scale. And so, like, <laughs> I was attached to being a part of picking all of these projects and these artists. So it's very right. hard to, like, yeah. pick a favorite. Um, so I might just dodge that question. That's fine. Or just, like, what are you um, most excited about in general about in the In general, festival? I think it's, it's the tech aspect of it because our techs are so fast and furious. We did something luxurious this year full-length plays are getting two days of tech instead of one day of tech so that's a full 16 hours to put their play up which most of your listeners probably know but an average play probably gets a week or 10 days of tech and so to do that in a festival format it's it's a short format not as short as fringe but it's a short format uh the 10 minute plays each get an hour to tech their shows um so that is really one of the most exciting parts for me of the festival is watching people think on their feet people make those decisions incredibly quickly um, and just figure it out and solve problems in a way that you have to when you're under the gun. Um, and I think that's one of the most exhilarating, exciting components for me. What about uh, on the fringe side? What are you guys excited about for the summer? We do have one show that's coming that, again, it's a, a kind of tech thing. They're, they're doing a very interesting thing um, with wireless headsets. And that in and of itself will be, will be very interesting. Um, but um, what I think is kind of fun about it is that when we I think there has some been some other discussion about with another fringe festival and they were like, Wow, you're you're doing this thing? We didn't we didn't think you can accommodate this. I mean, we couldn't accommodate that when somebody wanted to do this and you know, they're fitting in the parameters of what we can accommodate. They are getting their three hour attack time and they are getting their fifteen minute load in and load out. They're they are fitting within what many people perceive to be super tight parameters for production that we have to be in a position to offer people. And yet they're doing something that's really, really creative and really interesting and possibly very complex. So I'm quite Mm -hmm. excited to see them be able to pull that off, which I think will be great. I think there's there's also a lot, we have a lot of um, stories by veterans talking Mm -hmm. about PTSD, which Mm -hmm. I think is sort of interesting. more so know. this year than previous years? I don't know. I mean, it seems to pop out to me this year. Like um, I mean, yeah. it is a issue that's sort of going on in our times right now. I mean, if you follow that kind of stuff. But it's um, on the social consciousness, so yeah. you're much more aware of it. Um, we only know, like the people who call us and email us, we know the most about them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> One of the most exciting things about Fringe Festival and Source Festival is just the variety and diversity in programming. You know, I think one of the wonderful things is how many different voices you hear when you go to Fringe Festival from people from all walks of life. You know, the African American experience, GLBT experience, Asian American experience, Latino American experience. I just think that's, is that ever been part of the mission of Fringe Festival? I know that's kind of just fringing in general, that there's gonna be lots of different things available to you. I mean, we've just always tried to keep things accessible um, and we've also encouraged artists to communicate with one another about their experiences uh, being a producer in the festival and you know as time has gone by we've added many more like specific types of communities Um, we've also really tried to keep a vibe that's pretty relaxed um, so that it is always open and there is no sort of uh, set standard on what's allowed and not allowed. Do you have anything to say? I think that part of it goes back to what we were talking about a while ago about quality and how it's a kind of almost a self-regulating thing because you need to have a lot of passion and like drive to put on a show in the fringe and you just 
there's there's no reason why that can't be there's no reason why that you know there's a barrier to people i'm not being very articulate with this but i think i think that no. you know you a lot of it is you find is people telling their own stories we've got a lot of solo performances this year that mm -hmm. are autobiographical and um and you're talking about people coming from kind of different walks of life and and a lot of what people are talking about we've got um, a show about you know his, this one guy's experience of being bullied. We've got one guy who's talking about his experience of being you know growing up in a biracial family. So it it's it is it's about personal experience and putting that forward. And so I think that that does encourage people from this wide variety of backgrounds to tell their story. And does diversity come into the decision-making process for Source? Yeah, I mean it does. Certainly the artistic diversity when we're looking at artistic blind dates and the kind of um, stylistic and thematic diversity of selecting the plays and again once we kind of get down to what our our top lists are plays that you know seem sort of universally exciting to the groups of readers then we'll look and make sure that the selection is is balanced in in all methods of diversity gblt or race or uh, gender or locality all of those things are part of what we look at as we put together that mix so jenny we've got another listener question for you what do your readers look for when selecting plays and how do i participate in artistic blind dates Ooh, you should uh go to culturaldc.org and sign up for the mailing list is the easiest way you'll get notifications when the um applications come out they come out in late august early september and you just have to put together an application about yourself as an artist and we have a couple of ways that we reach out to artists to help you with those applications we do an open house um every fall to kind of give you the nitty-gritty of the application give you a little more info about what we're looking for and what things help a proposal to succeed and so a kind of workshop about that and we do some one-on-one -on -one time and i'll read your application before it goes in and give you feedback so there's a lot of ways to to get your application in i mean there's only one way to get it in but there's a lot of ways to get help with it and then i already forgot the first part of the question uh what do your readers look for when selecting plays right. now you mentioned earlier a little bit earlier that you you try to find sort of a, a common through line and however subtle is that something that comes out of what is submitted or is it something that you look for before you go into the selection process? Uh, it's more towards the end of the selection process because we're selecting the full lengths and the 10 minutes concurrently. So we usually will select the full lengths slightly ahead of the 10 minutes and then look within our sort of top batch of 10 minutes and kind of pull them together into to groups. The themes are very loosely grouped. So we're not asking playwrights to submit based on a theme at right. this point, though we've talked about it for the future. Um, what readers are charged with, um, and they get a reader's guide, which lays all of this out for them, but they're charged with looking for, for innovation and for surprise. So we're looking for plays that tell a fresh story or use a fresh method to tell that story. Mm -hmm. And that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people, and we're, we're open to that. And like I said, there's a numeric scoring method and there's a written scoring method, so kind of put all those pieces together. Um, and we give them a numeric guide to kind of say, if you score your play below this, just know that it probably won't be selected, so that they know kind of what our threshold is for which plays go forward and which ones don't. Okay. Is there anything that you haven't seen that you really are just dying to see? Perhaps this is a unofficial commission for somebody to write something? <laughs> um, I would really like for us to do um, a full-length musical. I don't really know how our resources would accommodate that at this point, but I think we find the right musical and then we figure it out. We have a 10-minute play that's a musical this year, so that's that's a step in the right direction. So I'm very interested in that. One of the things that I was interested in was blind date artists taking their
their work outside of the blind date room, which we use the rehearsal hall for. And one of our teams did that last year. And they actually used wireless headsets too and performed part of it out on 14th Street. So I love um, those kinds of innovations in that program. And I look for people to do more and more of those kinds of things. Anything that uh, you guys haven't seen that you've been just dying to see over at Cap Fringe? We see a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we see. You, we've seen it all. Right? Well, no, we haven't seen it all, but we do see a lot. I don't. I don't really. I just want to have a a platform where artists are allowed to do whatever they want. So it isn't. I'm just interested to see what people find important enough to put together and do. That's sort of. That's what I want to see. Alex? You're dying to see. I know. I'm mean, so mad. I don't even know like what to. Even yeah. Say. We've just got such variety, and yeah, <laughs> it's just all. There's kinda... nothing. There's nothing like not, So you, you said a musical of some sort. Is that a personal decision? Is that for like source? We've never had a musical. Um, no, I mean I'm always interested in a musical that sort of goes outside the bounds of of My Fair Lady and and you know Showboat, which I was raised on that stuff. So don't get me wrong, but but I'm just saying to take the sort of source aesthetic and the kind of plays that we look for, kind of fresh and edgy voices, and then apply that to a musical. I think is really exciting because music is just it, it gets in your brain in such a different way than the spoken word can, and I think mm -hmm. that's a really important tool, and I I just like to see it played out that way. Yeah. So n nothing. Second thought. Nothing. We got musicals. We got we got theater. We got comedy. We got children's shows. Dance. We've got, you know. Again, it's kind of. I mean, we're not an. How art. about we're a monster not. truck rally? Can we get a monster truck? Well, you rally? know, one time I really wanted to do a uh, pig wrestling, and I was gonna do it like at a happy hour. I wanted to set up this thing where people could do pig wrestling, and I thought that would be really fun. And I called the insurance company, insurance <laughs> company, to like talk this over with them, and they were like, "No, you cannot do that." <laughs> Can like, I just sit just... in on one of those phone calls? <laughs> I just want we to need to check our liability for what I mean, the now. things that we're really thinking about, because again, we're not producing the shows, is we're really right. thinking about how to, you know, like we've talked about getting us a, a second tent, you know, mm -hmm. like within mm -hmm. a, with maybe next year or the year after we want to add like an additional neighborhood. So adding so that instead of having 20 venues, we have 40 venues during the festival. And so we have an additional neighborhood with an additional tent and we have two hubs, two main box offices and doing like that kind of stuff. That's, that's what we talk about. Right. Um, how we can get good venues with good equipment that will, you know, yeah. lots have of storage you, space. <laughs> have you been having trouble like with like finding venues that are willing to accommodate something like Fringe? Like how, what, what is that process like? like really the only venue that doesn't want to accommodate, accommodate us is Woolly Mammoth. They don't want to rent to us. They want to rent to other people during the summer fringe festival. So that's really the only one that doesn't want to. I mean, it's fine. I'm I'm not upset with them anymore. I'm not. I don't mean to have that tone, but like they want to do other things with it, and they don't want to rent to us and have twelve groups in there and like you know taking over the building. And I suppose that would um, be a, a huge asset just because we, it's so close well, to Chinatown. We used it. To where you guys we are. used it for three years. It's so it's fine. Other it's it's a find your own venue, so it's still part of the festival. So it's not like it's you know it's not like they're not participating in any sort of manner. No one's ever not wanted to accommodate us. I I can't think of a venue that's been like no, except for Woolly. I mean, even this year we had two venues that we were sort of lined up to maybe use, and then you know then we and didn't end up ended up so. didn't end up you know using them. Yeah. But you know we've got good. Usually options. people are pretty pretty into it, and they want us to, to be there because we bring lots of people. I mean, right, there's thousands business. of people yeah. going through the door, and so it's yeah. a really great opportunity for many different types of spaces. Is there a, a list from like sort of the venues that you guys have chosen? Like, like for instance, you said two two venues that you're not using this year. Is there something like that that you have available for the 
for the Find Your Own Venue people, like, oh, hey, these are people that we used to work with, or these are places you might want to check out I for think, them? I think part of the problem with that, and we've had this all the time, um, is that we build the venues. So a, a lot of the venues that we use, we build the stage, we put in the everything. Lights, so the seating, it's everything. not a theatrical venue or a performance venue when you stumble across it. So it could be a Find Your Own Venue if you've got Somebody the resources to to turn it, it into but a performance space. Doing that type of stuff is, I mean, we have, it's just very expensive yeah. right. to completely outfit a space. So if you're just one If you're just one, one company show, doing yeah. that, doing sometimes that. the profit margins aren't but really But you've got some people be. that do more like found space, like Carmen's piece last year where she was doing it in mm-hmm. the circle is more of a yeah, sort we of... Have, a, we have similar shows like that this year that yeah. are doing Did you guys stuff on the what, street. Location specific. Is, is location specific work something that can be part of Fringe? Anything can be part of Fringe. Okay. This is the thing, like, like speaking of Carmen, like, Carmen never, ever follows the rules. And so we would usually always have a meeting and sort of figure out how to make our systems fit with what she was doing. And really, anybody can do that. And it's always about, like, anything's negotiable. All you have to do is talk to people. So we, I mean, we've always been very, but it's like, we can't meet with like a hundred people and talk to them about what they want to do. Like there are limits, but like we have a show this year that, man, they're like it's like a free show. So yep. it's it's a free show. It takes place in multiple places. It all starts at the fort, but it's like happening on all different street corners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like we met with them to like figure out how to make because a lot of our systems are based off of like how people attend and so we want to make sure that it's not like this crazy thing that like in the guide it's this description and no one knows how to read it and they're like what am i supposed to do i just want to go to the show so it's figuring out how to you know make those things that are you know not necessarily like i have my ticket i'm going to my show and how to make those things work in the festival but anything's possible what would you need to do more artistic blind dates why is there only three um, right now it was just a capacity thing in terms of how many, how much performance space and time we have at the festival. Mm-hmm. It's also a sales thing. To we'd rather have them full than not full, so we want to be able to give them enough a time and attention. There and was more than three in the past. There were four. Yeah, we we went down to three really just to match up the groups of three and have these three tracks that made sense and kind of went through. Um, it was a logistical piece really, and I think um, we just like to be able to make sure that we can focus on those groups and to give them the attention and the resources that they need to do what they want to do. It doesn't mean that there couldn't be more in the future. There certainly could be. You know, we talked about that this is the big theater performing arts festival season. What is it about DC that makes this such a playground for new works and performing art festivals and fringe and all this stuff going on? What is it? What is it about DC? Is that just indicative of any? Any city, or is there something unique that DC has that other cities don't? I don't know. I think sometimes the artistic community is is eager for opportunities to set it apart from the sort of Washington, I'm making air quotes, stereotypes of, of the government and Capitol Hill. And so I think there's an eagerness for the people that are in Washington for that scene to embrace it and to find their home there. And Washington does kind of have, when I first came to DC, people always said, you know, don't produce don't produce in August. Everyone leaves town in August. Everyone leaves town in August. That's not true. I mean, the most successful shows we've had at Rorschach are August shows by far. Um, so people are eager for that. And maybe it is that kind of summer break culture that I think DC has in some ways that makes summer festivals a natural fit. So last year you started the, the, the script development thingy? Uh, was like it? two years ago. This is the third year. Can you tell me a little bit about it? What, yeah. Um, what is it called? The script development thingy? <laughs> yes, I think you're, talking about, you're talking about our workshop weekend in March. 
That's the one. Right. There we go. So when we first started this out, you know, we're communicating with all of these playwrights, and they're all across the country except for the few that are here, and we're mostly talking to them about their work via email, which is, you know, not the ideal way to do that. So we really wanted a way to bring those playwrights to town and engage them in the Washington community and the Washington culture. We workshop their plays, but that process is very driven by the playwright, and in some cases it's something very specific, one scene they want to talk about or worked on. Sometimes it's much more far-reaching and we're rewriting lots of scenes, but it's really playwright-driven. We don't go into that with an agenda to say we need your play to be X, Y, and Z. We just want to give them the actors and the dramaturg and the director to to be the tools they need to do what they want to do with this play to take it to the next step. And that is a lot more effective to do when they're sitting in front of us than via Skype or FaceTime, which is still useful. And we do that with a lot of the 10-minute plays. But when I have the resources to bring in all 18 of the 10-minute playwrights, they'll come in too. But. Who should come to source? Who should come to source? What Everybody. Artist? Well, no, no. Definitely Matt's Who, mom should come to source. <laughs> My poor mother. She, she's loving this right now. What's her name? Christine. I, she, I don't know. Say hi to your mom. I don't Just even know if she's hello, mom. mom. I don't even know if she's listening. Hi, she, Christine. she doesn't know how to use a podcast. <laughs> like, who should apply to So it's source? interesting. And most of our um, information that we have about who comes to it, um, I'm going to talk about who comes to it instead of who should. I don't know. Maybe everybody should. So, um... We see that there's certainly a lot of people that are sort of invested in the theater community, are invested in the work of new playwrights, and, and that are kind of the, the pioneers of that kind of information, and they're looking for that, and they have their finger on who the new playwrights are, and that see it first at source is a very important thing for that pe- those people. But I think those are more invested theater goers that are seeing theater in a lot of different places throughout the city. Mm-hmm. The other end of the spectrum are the people that we see coming to the 10-minute plays and the artistic blind dates particularly, that I think are more having their first experiments in theater. You know, they're not sure they're ready to commit to a whole show at some other company that they've never really heard of, which is the whole nature of new plays. And yet the six, 10 minute plays are a kind of quick and dirty introduction to a lot of different kinds of work. You're gonna see some things you love, you're gonna see some things that aren't up your alley, but it's a great entry point for people that don't quite know what to do with theater yet and how to get involved. And so we see that there. And then we see it in the blind dates because you're getting the communities of all the participants, which are kind of sometimes from different kind of siloed communities of dancers or, or visual artists that may not see the other kinds of work as often as we'd like them to. Hmm. Cap Fringe. Who who should apply to Cap Fringe? I think those that are ready to do it. Those that are ready to do it. Yeah. I mean... You get an idea, you're passionate, you're willing to put that stake in. And also you're ready to spend the year getting ready for it. Because it is... I mean, our deadlines start in February. February and it's... February for the current season. Correct. Yeah. Um, so everything sort of starts... We sort of take people along on this journey and it is... If you're not really, if you don't have the capacity to do that, then it's just not going to be as successful or fun, and it might be too stressful. I think also if you have an idea that you're passionate about, Mm -hmm. and you know how to put it together into a show, those are people that should uh, apply. Those that are wanting to get exposure, those that are wanting to network with other artists, and get a great mailing list that they can have at the close of the festival, those that want a press list, those that want to, you know, kind of start their engines, or those that want to sort of get in front of a different audience that maybe they're not reaching, that's who should apply. So Jenny, you're also the co-artistic director of Warshak Theatre Company. Yes. You're also a new mother. (laughs) Yes. And you are the producer of Source Festival. So I'm just curious, how do you keep track of everything? Um, How do you you do all that between all (laughs) that stuff? Between Um, Thane... Right. Warshak and, right. and Source. Because um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we have lots of mothers besides my own are probably listening and trying to balance work and life and everything. I'm just curious. Yeah, I don't have the exact answer to that yeah. in any way. But, um, you know, for me, it's really, it's a very delicate balance of a lot of fortunate circumstances, you know. 
every day of my week is totally different. And I'm lucky that all three of those things are relatively flexible. And so uh, I'm able to be with my son quite a bit. I have a nanny two days a week who's also an actress. So a lot of times my schedule is influenced by what show she's gotten cast in, which is just a whole other level of chaos, but she's fantastic. And her flexibility allows me to be flexible. My husband's got some flexibility. Um, so it's really, for me, it's about embracing the chaos and about surrounding myself with other really smart and capable people um, that can help me do these jobs. Because I certainly, you know, don't do Source Festival all by myself. There's a fantastic staff at Cultural DC. I have a great team of assistant and associate producers that help me do it. Um, and the same thing, obviously, with Rorschach. There's, uh, we have a great company, and Randy, as a co-artistic director, has certainly pitched in. Sometimes his role is to babysit for my kid, which is a fun crossover in my life. So yeah, I mean, it's just kind of embracing the chaos, keeping a really good Google Calendar is the other piece of that. <laughs> um, yeah, and I feel like you know any one piece could tumble at all, but we'll find a new piece to put in, so. We've gotten pretty good at Google Calendar. We have. I update it constantly now. I, don't, I never used to. But, I never used to. But I don't update the Google You don't. I look at it, and all I see is my own shit. It's all like, I see. Are you busy? And I'm busy like every night, but I don't put anything on the calendar for him to know what I'm doing. I don't think I want you knowing what I'm doing all the time. I think but I, I do. But I do like knowing when you have an audition and a callback and everything. Between your Facebook and knowing your Google Calendar, I like know everything about you now. Brandon and I have the same situation. We've shared a Google Calendar yeah. for years and years, and, and we both have to think a little bit about exactly what goes on well, it and what he puts everything on it i, I love do, it because like I'm, i have no idea i can't keep track of my own shit like <laughs> seriously look at my apartment i mean are you kidding i can't keep track of fuck all like it's <laughs> it's it is awful it's just utter chaos it, except um, for your google calendar which is meticulous <laughs> um you so my next question is what is up next for you guys, besides Fringe Festival and Source Festival, like, what, you know, do any of you have a performing arts life? We talked a little bit about Rorschach. What's Rorschach up to? But anything going on outside? Are you going to, do you, like, take a big-ass vacation? I would imagine <laughs> if I were you, as soon as Fringe was over, I would get the fuck out of town. Well, one of the things we're doing this year is we're actually going to the Edmonton Fringe Festival in Edmonton, Canada. It's the Ooh. largest Fringe Festival in North America, so the whole staff is going. Um, we're going to hang out there for... Four days. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm super excited about that because they have a pretty good setup. And I'm just kind of interested to see it and you know see what it's like. I mean, Canada has like a whole different funding structure, but it'll be good. Then I'm gonna get a car and I'm gonna drive. I'm from Montana and I haven't actually been to my hometown in like since 2008. Um, so I'm gonna actually drive down to Montana from Alberta. And I'm gonna, I'm really interested to see like the tar sands, you know. Yeah. Like, people are always talking about that, and that's like a big thing. I got a, a bunch of people from back home that are working that stuff, and I just kind of want to see what that's like because it's really changed the landscape a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of excited about that and just sort of checking out for a little bit. I'm gonna like move to the area properly because <laughs> I uh, I only started with Fringe in January, oh, wow. and I've been living in Britain for the last nine years, so I literally moved here for the job. So. I haven't had time to even unpack since I started the job, so... So you're thinking you're going to move to D.C. and stay? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, the plan? But, yeah. but I'm actually going to, like, Make unpack. it official. Yeah. Maybe. Like, properly. That, that properly. would be good. 
Yeah. Right. She lives in Arlington. I live in Arlington. So, okay. you know, I'm actually going to, you know, move to DC move proper. Move to DC proper, find a real place to live, not somebody's garage. And Jenny. Yeah. Um, so we have a whole amazing season coming up in the Meet Theater Lab program, which starts very shortly after Source Festival ends. Then in August, um, Rorschach is opening Neverwhere uh, by Neil Gaiman, adapted for the stage. We didn't adapt it, Robert Kuzlark adapted it, but it is a huge and incredible production. And I'm directing it, and I'm incredibly excited about the huge team of smart people that we've assembled to do it. So in between Source Festival rehearsals and designer runs and things, we're having sneaky sort of preliminary workshops with all the designers (laughs) and the actors to kind of get a head start and work it all out. But we'll be over at the Atlas for that in August. Great. So we just want to thank all of you for coming. Again, our guests this evening were um, Julianne Brienza, the executive director of Capital Fringe Festival. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk so much about theater festivals. Alex Ingle, the Artist Services Manager for Capital Fringe Festival. Thanks very much. It's been a really good time. And Jenny McConnell-Frederick, the Director of Performing Arts of Cultural DC and the producer of the Source Festival. Thank you for having us. This was a lot of fun. Ladies, thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Well, folks, that is it for this episode. It was substantially longer than we anticipated, so we do hope that you found it informative. A big thank you to Eric Shimalonis for the wonderful music he's provided, and of course to you, our listeners, for your fantastic support. If you've enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with your friends. Don't forget to find us on Twitter at Lights Up Podcast and like our page on Facebook. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, or have a listener question, email us at lightsuppodcast at gmail.com. I am Mabood. And I'm Matt. And thanks for listening. Bye.